This is the Lightning Junkies Podcast with your host, Chaz Krippusen. On this 25th episode of the podcast, we have Chris Stewart from Sherdbits. We talk about lightning infrastructure for enterprise and much more. It's actually interesting in this episode, Chris asks me quite a few questions and I think the conversation is brought up to the next level because of it. I hope more people in the future ask me questions. I might even start telling my guests to actively ask me questions during the show as well. I'm going to mostly skip the spiel this week and just have you guys focus on the actual content of the episode. If you really want to give Bitcoin or Bitcoin over Lightning and, you know, maybe tip me or find other ways to support the show, you can find all of those in the show notes. How about we just go ahead and jump into the show right now? I would like to go ahead and welcome Chris to the Lightning Junkies podcast. How are you doing today, Chris? Doing great. How about yourself, Chaz? I'm doing pretty well myself over here. I was just telling you before we started the recording, I basically don't know anything about your company and how it started, why it exists, why anyone in an enterprise might want lightning. These are definitely things that I want to get into. We're going to talk about your general background and Bitcoin background, lightning background, 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 background. How did you get your start years before Bitcoin was in your life? I have an atypical software engineering background. I like to think I actually grew up on a dairy farm for most of my life and was about as far away from technology as you could possibly be. I graduated high school, went to college, did math and computer science in college, which I think gets more to the stereotypical crypto background. Graduated college from the University of Iowa in 2014. As anyone thinks when they graduate college, you want to go get a nice paying job, work at that job for a long period of time, and hopefully retire when you're 55. I didn't really buy into that narrative. My thought's always been you should take risks while you're young. I was predisposed to looking for something cool and new to get involved in. And in that 2014 time frame, it's like when I started reading about crypto, just like everybody else, I think initially caught my eye is the price volatility of cryptocurrency. The very first time I remember seeing anything about Bitcoin was a Forbes article when I was doing an internship in the summer of 2013. I think Bitcoin price had gone from $260 or something like that and then quickly crashed back down. I promptly forgot about it and then read about it again in November of 2013, which is when Mt. Gox was the exchange and I think Bitcoin price went to $1,000 a coin. That actually hooked me enough to keep tabs on it regularly as I was finishing college. So I finished college, obviously Mt. Gox crashed just as I was trying to get registered on Mt. Gox. Thank God that didn't work. Went and actually worked a full-time job for about six months after graduating college. In the spring of 2015, I actually applied for a startup accelerator out in California called Boost VC. At the time, they were doing their fifth tribe in their startup accelerators, what they call them. And they have a unique crypto focus even back then. They were doing a Bitcoin-only startup accelerator cohort. I applied to be in that. My initial idea for Bits was actually being an insurance company for Bitcoin. The logic at the time was all these exchanges keep getting hacked. Like it'd be nice if customers had some way to insure themselves against this counterparty risk that's on an exchange. 
Little did I know that starting an insurance company is extremely capital intensive and there's high regulatory barriers as well. The risk profile of the underlying asset here, which is Bitcoin, is extremely high. That didn't end up panning out. What I ended up doing is going back to my technical roots and looking at how Bitcoin actually works at a, a fundamental level. That's when I started getting into the protocol development side of things and getting interested in things like Lightning and starting to read about the technology angle of cryptocurrency and pivoted shirt bits to be API company. One of my core beliefs is Lightning is going to be paired with digital goods in the future. I think of digital goods as API calls or data, paying for just pieces of data more or less with cryptocurrency is our fundamental premise here at Shirtbits. Make this business viable, we need to have lighter whitening adoption, which goes into the enterprise stuff that we've been writing about recently. I definitely wanted to jump into all that, but before we do that, I wanted to ask a simpler question. Do you think your more humble background gave you any different perceptions or any leg up over other people in the industry? Everybody has their strengths and weaknesses. I wouldn't say that I have any advantages being from my background, more so than anyone else from any other background. If you're maybe Mark Zuckerberg's son or Bill Gates's kid, maybe you have a leg up just because you have more networking opportunities. But besides that, I think everybody's pretty much on even footing, and especially in an industry that really is a completely new industry like cryptocurrency. I, I like to think you have a chance to really have a meritocratic system because there isn't these incumbents necessarily that can be king's makers, so to speak, as maybe you would see in other industries. Another thing that came to my mind when you were describing shirt bits there, you know, we'll definitely get into more detail here, but a similar service that came up years ago is 21.co, which later became earn.com. Do you have any comments on the similar nature? I do remember them. And if I remember correctly, they were more going at the compute angle. So having a compute that is metered by something like Bitcoin, we at Shirtbits are taking the angle of certain sets of data being inherently valuable, specifically what we think is going to be the first set of data that's really valuable is cryptocurrency market data for the obvious reasons that it's very valuable in traditional finance. That's where we differ from 21 in that sense. 21 did pivot a bunch, started out as a mining company, which I'm sure you remember as well. They ended up as an email company and then got last time acquired by Coinbase. Let's keep digging here on Shirtbits. The general idea that I'm getting is companies that need updated information very quickly and they want it from a guaranteed source. They might use something like Surebit's API to pull that information very quickly and pay with Lightning to receive that information. Is that correct? That's exactly correct. Where we actually provide value is on refining these data sets and exposing them to end users. Right now, a lot of cryptocurrency exchanges don't offer sets of historical market data. That is very useful for people in finance to be able to access, to run models on, historical analysis on, to determine what trading strategies are profitable or not profitable. We believe that Lightning provides a unique use case for people that are data aggregators or exchanges themselves to monetize these historical data sets and start generating revenue off of these as well. I think the blog post that caused me to contact you 
was about how there's a lot of challenges associated with running a lightning service or being an enterprise wanting to run a lightning service. Do you want to go into more about that? Let me just bifurcate here. We as Shredbits in the long term want to be selling data, but in the short term need people to adopt lightning. We think about this a lot internally of what is cryptocurrency used for today? The answer that we revolve back around to there is it's used for speculation. What are the Bitcoin businesses that speculation revolves around? Well, that's the exchanges, of course. So if we want lightning to be adopted as a technology, our belief is we need to get exchanges and uh, financial speculators to adopt lightning as well to make sure this technology is saturated, at least in the market that we have currently. Again, this bifurcation here is where we as Shredbits want to go long-term and what we need to do to get there in the short-term. And getting there in the short-term, in our opinion, is getting as much lightning adoption as possible now so we can start going towards our long-term goals. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. My next question after that is, how do you do that? Exactly. So I was listening to a couple of podcasts of yours over the past few days, and you had a podcast with Michael Folkson, who I really enjoy talking to. I actually was in London with him a couple of weeks ago, and he's just a great guy. You guys were talking about Lightning Conference. I think this podcast back in maybe the October area, we were out at Lightning Conference too, and we were starting to form this idea of if we want Lightning adoption, we need exchanges and traders to adopt Lightning. At Lightning Conference, I gave a talk about private key management because the number one requirement for any business that's going to be using Lightning at scale is to be able to secure your private keys. Big custodial Bitcoin businesses will not use Lightning if they do not feel comfortable with the security story. We as a community actually haven't done a great job to get these people comfortable with how Lightning works from a security perspective. Part of this talk that I gave out in Berlin was just talking about how private keys are handled with Lightning. Actually, there was some exchange people that did attend this talk and we ended up having a great conversation about what it would take businesses of their scale where you're handling thousands of Bitcoin a day to safely adopt Lightning. What are the requirements for a business like this? They, they understood that I could at least get the private key management story right. That's the obvious thing for any custodial business. If you can't handle the keys, like nobody's going to use your piece of technology because they can't be losing their customers' funds. There were some less obvious requirements that they have as well. The content that we've been putting out recently, specifically our Lightning 201 series on our blog posts, are addressing a lot of those concerns that these large Bitcoin businesses need to have addressed to be able to actually properly support Lightning. At least one of those things is having uh, failover nodes are, are way for yes. if, if one node fails, you can quickly jump over to another one if needed. That is exactly right. From the exchanges perspective, if just in general with the developer operation or DevOps stuff, you need to have redundancy in case one piece of infrastructure fails. You need to be able to switch over to another piece of infrastructure that could carry out the same task as that original piece of infrastructure. The same thing applies with Lightning nodes, is if I have Lightning node A, that is where all my customers are transacting with. If Lightning node A fails, I need to be able to transfer my customers seamlessly to Lightning node B and continue operations as if nothing happened. With the way that Lightning nodes are currently set up, 
it's not very easy to do this. The exchange guys are grizzled veterans from 2017, 2018 era of Bitcoin, where a lot of their exchange infrastructure itself failed. They're very hesitant to incorporate things that aren't easy to manage because when you operate businesses at this scale, your problems always get compounded by how many users you have. And lightning nodes are no different in that sense. The exchanges need the ability to fail over one lightning node to another lightning node. Since lightning is a new protocol, there isn't a lot of wisdom around how to do this properly. Or frankly, there hasn't even been a lot of thought around how to do this properly yet. I can just draw distinctions real quick between how a Bitcoin node operates inside of an exchange's infrastructure, and then maybe how that's different than a Lightning node. With a Bitcoin node, really, there is not a whole lot of interactivity that goes on. The Bitcoin node does is it sits in the background, it waits for blocks to happen on the network. If it's the Bitcoin network, these blocks happen every 10 minutes. Once every 10 minutes you have an event, the block needs to propagate through your accounting system at the exchange. You need to update the customer's balances. And this happens at a very slow pace. Bitcoin nodes in a lot of cases are afterthoughts when it comes to exchanges infrastructures. That's a weird thing to say because they do drive the accounting system of the exchange. But since Bitcoin D specifically is such a stable piece of software and the Bitcoin developers themselves have been very conservative with the security parameters of this piece of software, that's a political debate, but they have been very conservative with these security parameters. It means that from the point of an exchange engineer, you usually do not have problems with this piece of infrastructure, which is great. The more problems you can minimize and especially unique pieces of software like Bitcoin D, that makes their lives so much easier and allows them to focus on other things that they have on their plate. That's what every software engineer wants is not to have novel problems come across their desk. Now, comparing this with how a lightning node fits into an exchange's infrastructure, is a lightning node is very interactive. You can have deposits and withdrawals coming from your lightning node that are instantly settled immediately and need to be credited in your exchange's accounting system. So that means you need to constantly be updating your users' balances and deducting users' balances depending on when they're with drawing and depositing into the exchange. Are you with me so far? Do you have any questions? I have some questions that are brewing, but just keep going. Okay, sounds good. With this new piece of software, you, you need to be able to manage this thing and especially the interactive components of the Lightning Protocol. Whenever you actually do have downtime with your Lightning node, it's much more immediately noticed in the exchange's infrastructure. Another nuance that comes with running a Lightning node is they're not necessarily compatible with each other. What I mean by that is not LND is not compatible with Eclair. What I mean actually is if Lightning Node A fails, all the invoices generated by Lightning Node A, you cannot pay those invoices to Lightning Node B. Whereas if you have two Bitcoin nodes, an address is generated with Bitcoin Node A, you can always pay that address and have Bitcoin node B recognize that payment was received because we have this global consensus mechanism that's a blockchain. These invoices, when they're served, they're each signed by the node ID of the node that's vending those invoices. You have fundamental incompatibility there between these two nodes if you create lightning nodes the naive way. There is ways to get around this, the problems that we've been thinking about here at Shirtbits. Another problem that's about the same vein is the liquidity problem. You've probably heard a lot about people 
concerned about liquidity on the network. And I believe that that's actually not going to be a big problem over the long term. I could be wrong. I, I think that's going to be solved just by the market, though. A problem that definitely is a problem with a single node, though, especially from an, like a big Bitcoin business or exchanges perspective, is if Lightning Node A goes down and it has, let's say, 100 Bitcoin of liquidity to it, and you spin up Lightning Node B, Lightning Node B now has no liquidity going towards it. All of your users need to go open new channels to Lightning Node B to be able to keep transacting with it. You can't reuse that liquidity that was pointed at Lightning Node A that's now crashed. I used to work at a major exchange, and so a lot of these things sound very familiar to me. The one that I recognized during 2017, the node that would go down most often was Ethereum. That was something positive with that versus Lightning, just to bridge the gap for me a little bit here, is I'm sending Ethereum to my exchange wallet in this example, but their node is down. The effective result is still sent to their private keys but yep. their ability to recognize that is just not working. You'll be like, oh man, my money's not getting credited to my account. You guys are scamming yep. me, whatever. With Lightning, the problem's far worse because when the node goes down, the entire ability to receive the, the deposits go down, goes down exactly. as well. In some ways, there's a positive customer experience where you can still send the money and the system's not recognizing it, so that kind of sucks but you can still rest assured that your funds are safe or whatever stupid yeah. thing. I see a lot of value in that. And I definitely see the issue with once the node goes down, then you have to have a second separate set of liquidity. My immediate thought is you would just have multiple nodes running at the same time. So if one goes down, then you would switch over to the other one without it being a big deal because it just it's running in tandem. Let me just jump in here real quick. You know, Bitfinex is one exchange that has adopted Lightning, and that's exactly what they do as far as I can tell. If you go look at, I think it's ln.bitfinex.com, you'll see that their label on their node is like LND0. And presumably there's LND1, there's LND2, like LND3. So you still do have the invoice problem that I talked about earlier because they are different node IDs. The other problem is Lightning routing in general is meant to solve the problem of having to have a direct connection with every destination that you eventually want to send money to. Now, in these scenarios that you want to have essentially a backup node, you're getting away from that and you need a bunch of capital that's just tied up on the Lightning Network that can't necessarily be used for anything. It needs to just be allocated for backup capital or whatever you want to call it. This is the solution that we're pushing here at SureBits is to just allow you to reuse that capital on a different virtual machine up on the cloud somewhere. Rather than having to have a 10 Bitcoin channel with Bitfinex, and if you want to have a backup channel, maybe you put one Bitcoin in the backup channel so you're not totally caught with your pants down. That's still one Bitcoin that cannot be used for other constructive purposes. It's just hanging out there in case this other node ends up going down as well. Not a great solution. What we are pushing towards is fundamentally compatible lightning nodes that can be spun up just like you spin up a VM or a Beanstalk instance on something like AWS, where you start segregating these components of the lightning node out into different pieces of infrastructure so that you can now safely fail over 
from one node to another node without having your clients actually realize that you did this transfer. Let me ask you a kind of slightly different question here while trying to stay on the similar topic. Sure. Do you think the whole idea of exchanges adopting Lightning is a good one at all? We had an episode with Shinobi on episode 11 where he argued against the idea of exchanges doing this, that there's just like, there's just not enough Bitcoin in order to really make this work. I'm shortening his argument a little bit here, but sure. do you think that general argument against exchanges adopting it makes sense at all? Or what's your thoughts there? I've seen Shinobi make this argument too, and I don't want to straw man him. Yeah, I'm probably going to end up straw manning him. So sorry if you're out there, Shinobi. I think that Lightning is definitely going to be adopted by exchanges and proprietary traders just for the sheer fact that it's faster. It's faster than anything else. There's no faster way to theoretically transfer capital between two exchanges, specifically Bitcoin, than using Lightning. Now, whether that lightning adoption happens to small time day traders, maybe Shinobi does have a point there. I don't agree with him though on like lightning's not going to be adopted by exchanges at all. There's going to be big time trading firms using lightning just to move money around, take advantage of arbitrage opportunities. We actually wrote a blog post about this uh, fairly recently about how we believe Lightning enables high-frequency trading in the crypto space. We go into all of the different ways that capital is transferred today. In crypto, you've got things like the Silvergate Exchange Network, stable coins, Liquid from Blockstream, and then Lightning as well. We compare the speed between all of these transfer mechanisms. I think generally I disagree with him, but I don't think his complaints are his points are unfounded either. So I, I guess maybe I'm taking both sides of the fence there. I think that's pretty fair. But how much do you see that changing in the short term future here? We have smaller players trying to get in there. Do you see that becoming more common of a thing? What I'm advocating for behind the scenes is to have another exchange partner with Bitfinex to allow uh, quick transfers between the two exchanges for people to ARB. I have not been successful in that. This is part of this ongoing education program, whatever you want to call it, lightning familiarity program that we've been trying to run again with just getting the people that are responsible for security practices at these exchanges comfortable with the security profile of Lightning and also getting the DevOps guys comfortable with actually managing these Lightning nodes too. In my opinion, having a partnership between two big exchanges and maybe just having a private channel strictly between those two exchanges is a good way to dip your toes in the water, especially if you're friendly with another exchange because then you guys can kind of learn together. Also, if something goes terribly wrong, like say if you guys end up publishing a revoked state or whatever, the people on the other end of that channel can presumably get your money back before you go big and try and open withdrawals and deposits to the outside world. I can definitely understand why exchanges might hesitate to do that on some level. Do you see that becoming more possible on Lightning in the future? We have certain nodes that are putting in custom channel sizes and things like that. But as far as I'm aware, aren't things still limited to 0.042 Bitcoin? Yeah, I think that is the limit still. It can be circumvented, obviously, if you want to run some custom software. I think if you were in this setup that I'm talking about, you'd more than likely have a bigger channel between the two exchanges. I think actually in the next Bolt specification, there's going to be this Wumbo flag enabled that allows people to open up these really big channels. 
I know behind the scenes that people are already doing this and liquidity is going to keep growing on the network. I think the network probably, frankly, has too much liquidity on it now for the real economic activity that's happening behind the scenes. I guess it is what it is. And we need to keep advocating for adoption and showcasing what Lightning is truly good at. My belief there is there's two things that Lightning's really good at is fast transfers and permissionless payments where you don't need to authenticate people out of band as well. Going back to the API play that we have, you can provide these open APIs that allow anybody to hook into them by making a Lightning payment without any other information. Most exchanges currently just run a WebSocket that isn't authenticated in any sort of way. And in the future, we believe Lightning is going to be that authentication mechanism and the payment as authentication. You subscribe to the WebSocket for X amount of time, and then you have your subscription end and you stop receiving data from the WebSocket. Do you think that there is any service or anything that's using Lightning right now that you would say is working well and is useful today? First off, I don't think anybody's got a sustainable business on Lightning today. Going back to this digital goods thing I keep talking about, it's like, I think gaming is this digital universe. And I think Lightning makes a lot of sense in scenarios like that. I'm bearish in general with cryptocurrency being used for anything that's analog. And I think Lightning still applies there as well. Maybe you can go back to like these political wars that we had in 2017 and some people's arguments that it wasn't fast enough and that's why we didn't have in-store merchant adoption. And I just don't really buy that. I think it's just because the value add of crypto there isn't enough to make people want to pay for things in person with cryptocurrency. I do think that that could change with Lightning and these like native digital goods, specifically having the buzzword is machine to machine payments. I think uh, Lightning does make some sense in like those scenarios. So that's like what I think of the whole lightning adoption and where it's gonna go, maybe even more broadly where cryptocurrency payment adoption is gonna come from. That makes a lot of sense. And I would probably echo the same feelings there that Roger Ver is definitely wrong about his approach that it has to be cheap, it has to be zero comp, it has to be all these things. Yeah. He said that because we hit the one megabyte cap that necessarily Adoption was messed up on Bitcoin. Everyone went to altcoins. And I think that's just false. Regardless of what Bitcoin did, everything else would have happened basically exactly the same. No one really cares about our neck of the woods at this point, relatively speaking. They're trying to pretend that they do or that if we just make it fast enough, everyone's just going to just start using us right away. You know, just, oh my God, it's fast. I'm there. Yeah. I, I think the obvious point is that people have to have a real world reason to give a shit. I spend a lot of time thinking about that. Services like Fold or even back in the day, Purse, when that was a much more of a popular thing. Is, is Purse still around, by the way? Like, I honestly don't know. They are. After they took on Bitcoin Cash, most of the Bitcoiners turned away from them, so they were less in vogue. But they're still around. Services like that were always the way that I would try to pitch it to my friends. Hey... You could save 20% on Amazon. In this case, with Fold or something, it's you can earn 5% of Bitcoin, and that's my, my stealth way of getting my friends to get Bitcoin. Do you think that there's any real way to get people to adopt it without some external reason foisted upon them? People didn't adopt the internet until there was MySpace and Facebook, etc. 
That is a really good question. And I guess I don't think that question is specific to Lightning. I think that's a problem that just cryptocurrency in general has. You know, if I knew the answer, I would be doing it. I think this digital goods is the best way forward and makes the most sense for cryptocurrency payments. The segment of the current market that I think is most likely to adopt any new technology is people that just want to strictly profit off of it. That's traders, whatever edge traders can get to increase their PL. Those are people that are going to do that. If you do provide the results, they're going to use the technology. They're not super picky about what it is, as long as obviously you don't end up losing all the money because of a technical flaw. I think that's the most realistic path forward for a lightning adoption. And maybe just in general with cryptocurrency, I think that's generally the case. And I don't know where the unique use case is going to come from that really makes cryptocurrency payments like a, a real thing. The gaming companies are coming up like Zebedee, Satoshi's Games. Those teams, I think, are really interesting and I hope they can pull it off because I think that makes a lot of sense. Lightning does make the experience a little bit more seamless on those games. But I'm not a big gamer personally, so I don't know really what the game la landscape looks like in general right now and how all the in-game purchase experience works either. Do you have any strong opinions on it? I'm kind of interested to hear what you're thinking on this. I've had a couple Lightning Gaming people on recently. The most recent episode before this one airs. I had uh, Christian Moss on. Oh yeah, he's great. He was uh, full of uh, knowledge, and two weeks before that, we also had Lightning Koala on as well. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. A lot of overlapping thoughts there. The biggest takeaway that I'm seeing is a lot of the similar thing that I think that Fold and Lolly and a lot of these other companies are doing is trying uh, the stealth way of getting people to get Bitcoin or to give them Bitcoin or to make it a th thing that they're interacting with, even if they don't keep it for themselves. Like on Fold, you might just spend the sats you make on the next purchase you have. So the idea is you'd be playing one of these games, you know, you put sats into the system. So an external might put sats into the system to give you a power up or something. So it creates different flows, different things that can happen, that outside people can have fun with the people playing, there can be betting. And everything can be yeah. integrated into one system, sats swirling around. I definitely feel like that's going to be a thing. I don't game as much anymore. I'm getting older, so I'm getting slower. I'm not as good at this stuff anymore. I see it potentially being cool. I don't know what's actually cool to the younger kids anymore. I'm too old to know that. I have the feeling that being able to make money playing games is something that I would have wanted one thing that was really cool, I was at Advancing Bitcoin a couple weeks ago and the Zebedee guys were doing a, a showcase. One thing, they're taking the right angle in it in the sense that this demo had two Bitcoiners pitted against each other, Nicola Dorier and Nopara. They were playing like a boxing game or like a kickboxing game. And what the crowd could do as this interactive component is like buy them power-ups or buy them perks and stuff like that. I could see that scaling out to see that on Twitch or something like that. Twitch is extremely popular and the interactive component of that there, like, you know, buying people things in app immediately is really cool. For all I know, I guess maybe that could be a thing just with credit cards already on Twitch. I think incentivizing people into these real time, high stakes games is compelling and you could get an audience that are willing to watch that because again, there are high stakes to this stuff. Whenever there's high stakes involved, people usually are captivated. That's what I would try and take as the angle and be the armchair general on lightning in games. Who knows what pops out? 
I am looking forward to this one coming out soon, Light Knight. I'm not sure if they're going to like me for calling it a clone of Fortnite, but I'm just going to call it a clone. Please forgive me. It's essentially Fortnite, that battle royale gameplay. And, you know, similar things where they have power-ups externally, I believe. You, you put in sats, and when you do damage to someone else, you get sats. When they do damage to you, they get some of your sats. I definitely like that idea. There's some part of me that would want to be like, okay, I'm going to go become a pro right now and try to make a bunch of money. But I remember mm -hmm. when I would play Call of Duty, my kill-to-death ratio was always the, the wrong direction. <laughs> you, and, um, you and me both, brother. You and me both. Chaz, I, I have a question for you then. There's like two narratives I feel like people go for in just crypto in general. Okay. I think the same thing applies to Lightning is... There's the camp that crypto is going to be at the front of the user experience. It's going to be very prominent and you're going to know you're using crypto. And then there's another camp that's like, it's going to be in the background. You're not even know it's happening, but you're really using Bitcoin to power all this stuff. Do you fall in one of those two camps? Sure. Did I explain I, myself I, clearly? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I think so. I would say I probably fall into the camp of I want people to have it. I want it to be in the forefront so people can take it on as a self-sufficiency thing. Of, I have Bitcoin. I'm not taking on a lot of uh, bad practices. While I have Bitcoin, maybe I'm going a bit too much into the ethos of it, of what I think things should be, what I think probably will happen is probably more like what happened to the internet. People aren't sitting around forming their own TCP packets. <laughs> I, I think Bitcoin's different though. I think things like Bitcoin and Lightning are different. If, if I were to sit around and try to build the entire internet stack myself, I don't feel like the returns that I get are going to be that great. The amount of effort and cost that will be intrinsic to doing all that would make that probably not worth it in the end. With Bitcoin and Lightning, I don't think that's true. If you keep the technology in the forefront, you give people the switches and the levers to be able to pull and change around, eventually some portion of them will be able to control them. Not everyone, you know, some people will never be able to understand all the buttons. I, I think it's better that you put those things as accessible versus you putting them everything underneath the hood and you, you alienate the people that want real control of what's going on. I think, unfortunately, a lot of people were like that with the internet. A lot of that was steamrolled with just progress and moving forward. That's probably what's going to happen, that a lot of the more popular stuff in this industry will probably be the stuff where it's invisible to the user. A lot of the people in the industry aren't going to support those things as much, so they're going to have to get the outside users to adopt it without a lot of the early adopters in Bitcoin and crypto in general adopting mm -hmm. it first. The one that I would point out is Opera, the, the wallet Opera. I, I really like Opera. I really like the concept, but it doesn't have the fine control that any wallet that I really want to interact with has. And maybe I'm just a power user and I'm just talking from a very elitist point of view. I also think the ideal user should know what's going on. They should be aware of what's going on because if they don't, ultimately they could they have control ticking away from them because then they're pushed into more custodial type things. Uh, Opera specifically is not custodial, but I think that they're one small step away from being that yeah. way. I have a hard time seeing things not just going that way, that someone creates some really cool custodial tool 
then it gets really big to quote unquote normies, but to everyone in the Bitcoin or crypto land in general that had a certain ethos or ideology that, that guides them, they're just going to be like, we failed and, you know, crypto was subverted and turned into bullshit, whatever. I was actually having a conversation about the custody problem the other night. And if 99% of Bitcoin ends up being custodied by, you know, quote unquote, Bitcoin banks, like did Bitcoin fail or did Bitcoin succeed? One of my friends looked up how much like gold was custodied by uh, big custody firms. And I want to say it was 97% or Someone will double check me on that, but it, it was a very high number. And it's like actually retain its properties if it's being like custodied in that large of amounts by this small set of players. We're kind of getting into the sound money case versus the lightning, which lightning, which is, you know, meant for fast, quick transfers of, you know, Bitcoin. Maybe just another quick thing. It's like, you could say that lightning abstracts away a lot of Bitcoin. And do you think that that like abstraction is problematic for Bitcoin's fundamental values or no? It could. I'm not sure how many episodes you've listened to of the podcast, but that's pretty much been my favorite question or almost okay. the foundational question that I started asking at the very beginning. Is it a good idea to onboard users to lightning directly and skip Bitcoin and go there and get back to Bitcoin later once the actual users bought into what they're doing. That runs somewhat counter to what I said in my previous answer, but it's a process or at least a recognition of the process that maybe that I went through when I was onboarding myself to Bitcoin because there wasn't anyone doing it for me. The practical use, and that for me was buying weed on Silk Road, was just, oh, I was able to break the law in a very effective way. That didn't actually happen if any cops are listening, obviously. But <laughs> like stage two was seeing it as a monetary thing, seeing it as a gold substitute. Like I had a lot of Ron Paul flashbacks when I was sure. getting into it. Moving beyond that a little bit, trying to get into real world use cases, trying to get merchants into to it, trying to get other people into it, having that kind of euphoric, oh my God, everyone needs to do this right now, right now. You're the evangelical Bitcoin person. Yeah, exactly. Eventually that dies, thankfully. Unless you're Roger Ver. Yeah, I, I can understand why it's worked out really well for him on some level. Eventually you outgrow that, hopefully, like some people really don't, but I think I outgrew that at least on some level. I still do it a little bit. I was hanging out with someone yesterday. This is like a newer friend. And I just went into explaining how Bitcoin works just at a drop of a hat. Like it does happen. Yeah. Eventually you move out of that and you move into like a merchant thing. You want to do that. Then you move out of that. And then you're just sitting there like, okay, I'm not going to pitch it to everyone. I'm not going to be the yeah. person. What should I be doing? For me, I went and got a job in crypto. It wasn't Bitcoin specifically, but I was like, it's close enough for now. I can hone in later. You got to start somewhere, get your toes in the water somehow. Exactly. In my case, I lost that job and I was at another impasse where like I learned a lot there, but now what? That progression is very similar to what I expect any other person to go through. Getting them into lightning, something like Wallet of Satoshi or Blue Wallet first as a getting their toes wet is okay. But with the concept of having longer term education similar what the swan bitcoin people are doing you can give someone bitcoin but then they give them 
educational stuff down the line to keep them growing as a user. Ultimately, I think the users that I'm thinking of are the ones that are in the 1% that you laid out before that I think there probably will be Bitcoin banks. The people that are firmly into Bitcoin and Lightning and crypto, not everyone into crypto. There's some people that won't have these ethos, but... They will be the ones that will defend against it. They will be the grandpas saying, you need to hold your own private keys. We'll keep it alive. Chaz, you better hope that your uh, grandkids aren't like Grandpa Chaz is the crazy Bitcoin guy. Like, get off my lawn and we just let him talk to himself in the corner or whatever. I do have a question quickly back to the enterprise architecture stuff we're working on. I guess I should have mentioned that's all built on top of Eclair, which is the node that async runs. I run a, a, a Claire node on my phone just to do whatever lightning payments I need to do locally. But they have came out with their Phoenix wallet recently, which I, I have not run Phoenix yet. I've been meaning to. My understanding is this is the next gen lightning wallet that abstracts away a lot of this stuff we're talking about. I guess questions for you. One, have you used it? Two, do you have problems with it on the grounds that we just talked about? Yeah, I have Phoenix installed and I've used it. I think there are a lot of concerns down that line. It's very interesting that I'm answering questions right now. The third <laughs> question I've answered on my own podcast. Sorry, uh, I'm, I'm interviewing you now. My bad. <laughs> it's funny because I realize I have a lot of thoughts on these things. It goes back to what I'm saying. I think it's not the worst possible thing, but it, it has to be with the thought that the education of the ethos comes with it at some point. Just having the wallet by itself and just maybe having a service like Fold be the other side of that interaction doesn't really give you a lot of that. Doesn't give you the sound money component. I do care about the sound money component. I think Lightning pretty much only has value because Bitcoin has the sound money component. There are arguments to be made that Lightning has value without that. I think I, I would actually disagree with you there in the sense that Lightning is just a fundamentally way to settle cryptocurrency without counterparty risk, maybe with a small asterisk there. That is something that is unique to Lightning, that the Lightning security model is not directly dependent upon this like proof of work confirmation security model that is used on like base level blockchain. There is value to that there. And I think that value would persist if you did have a cryptocurrency that was inflationary, for example. I think that the value of Lightning in that sense is detached from the monetary policy of the underlying chain. Agree or disagree? I would agree with that particular nuance, but I think I have a different way to address that. Why aren't you using Lightning on Litecoin right now? Litecoin does not have any network adoption around Lightning. Uh, why does Litecoin not have network effects in general? Okay, fair enough. You're making an economic argument, and I'm probably making a more like technology-based one. Correct. And I think that would be the reason we're here talking about... When, when I first started the podcast, I had my bio be like, a Lightning Network podcast, I changed it at some point to a Bitcoin Lightning Network podcast because I realized that someone working on one of the really small coins could want to be like, hey, I have this Lightning Network thing that I'm working on that's on this poop coin. I don't really care because, I mean, it might be cool as a technology, 
but the reason we're here is because of Bitcoin. The reason Lightning exists is because Bitcoiners took it upon themselves to make it happen. There is Lightning on Ethereum, but as far as I'm aware, it hasn't gone almost anywhere yet in comparison to Bitcoin Lightning. That's hugely relevant. And I think the reason that's the case is the network effects of Bitcoin. And one of the major network effects of Bitcoin is the sound money marketing. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Lightning will be adopted by other chains. It's just a matter of when the teams that are running these chains really put their resources behind it and give up on the base level scaling problem. Who knows when that will be, but one thing I am very grateful for the Bitcoin developer team, a lot of wisdom back in, you know, I think the 2015, 2016 era that really is paying dividends now later on down the line. If we didn't have this kind of wisdom back in that critical time frame. We may be at the same kind of juncture and coming to the realization now rather than back then of, you know, blockchains don't scale. We need to move to another level or layer and start addressing some of these different problems at that level rather than trying to do everything on the base chain. What's your thought on the development of Bitcoin? One, being boring and slow. Two, being difficult and having the contrast of development on Lightning being fast, fun, and more accessible. As protocols mature, it's a necessity that you have that slow conservative mindset because things are dependent upon your protocols. Bitcoin developers are doing the right thing. I actually have some gripes about the Taproot stuff that's coming out because I believe that too much is bundled in one update. I'd rather see things uh, pieced out and updated individually so that uh, we don't set this precedent of pushing through these very large upgrades just because we want one piece of the upgrade. Now, in terms of lightning development, it's a new protocol. We should still experiment. I have concerns about some of the things that people are playing with. With, like the HODL invoice stuff, I think that that's pretty detrimental to the network because it ends up locking up liquidity for everybody on the path without necessarily paying for it. That gets to a more fundamental question of what the fee structure is of Lightning. Like, are fees paid when you're setting up a route or are fees paid when the round is fully settled? There's a lot of open questions there that I don't think we have good answers to on the Lightning development side of things. We are still a rather immature network, so I think it's okay for the most part taking a little bit more risk on the Lightning side. Of Do you think a lot of the excitement moved from the Bitcoin side of things to the lightning side of things? That's a tough question to answer. I'm just trying to think of people that I know that were Bitcoin developers, like hardcore Bitcoin core developers that moved up to lightning development. Maybe you could argue Christian Decker is one of those people. I know Lalu did some work on BTCD. I don't think he did stuff in Bitcoin core, but I could be wrong there. I would say from what I'm thinking of the Lightning developer set, they just came into crypto at the time that Lightning was really starting to be pushed as a protocol that has potential. And they skipped working directly on like a Bitcoin protocol code base and just went straight to working on Lightning. Do you think that's a fair characterization? What are your thoughts there? Maybe I'm just doing a poor job of articulating my actual point here. I guess what I'm seeing is people have moved away from building things directly on Bitcoin. So I'm not talking about the Bitcoin developers, specifically the people that are actually working on the core protocol, but people that were making apps and things built okay. on top of Bitcoin before. 
I feel like I'm just seeing all the fun stuff is on Lightning now. Generally speaking, that's a very broad thing, like coin joins and things like that. But I actually have some insight here. Today, we just released some information about an app that you would say is built on top of Bitcoin, and it's these discrete log contracts, which is basically Bitcoin oracles. It allows you to do Bitcoin oracles in a safer, more private way with this trust-minimized model. The reason we're developing these DLCs or discrete log contracts on-chain for is because you need to think about the on-chain semantics of how a protocol works before you can lift it off-chain into a layer two solution. So like all lightning stuff in the worst case scenario has to go back on-chain. In worst case scenarios, you need to think about how, how to bring that back to the Bitcoin protocol as I think Greg Maxwell says is like Bitcoin protocols, the judge or court that you can go dispute things. With the discrete log contract, you know, we just uh, released some demonstrations today. You can go find them on the Shergits blog. But the intention long-term for this stuff is to very much take it up to the Lightning Protocol and uh, have all of that stuff happen up there. Just to be clear, the real-world use case for this might be Alice and Bob doing some bet related to the price of Bitcoin or possibly the price of something else. Yes, exactly. What discrete log contracts devolve down to is just digital signatures. The digital signature is unique based on whatever thing you're speculating on. So it really can be anything. I say it's trust minimized in the way with any Oracle model, you do have some trust, but with discrete log contracts, the nice thing about the setup here is the Oracle does not know you're using them the Oracle cannot equivocate. What that just means is if there are two separate speculations that are dependent upon this Oracle, the Oracle cannot tell party A one thing and tell party B another thing. They can't just, depending on who's asking, tell them a different answer. That means they need to lie to everybody or lie to nobody when it comes to thinking about the trust model of this protocol and how these oracles work. Kaz Dreja from MIT is the originator of this. It uses some pretty cool cryptographic tricks to give us these properties. I'm wanting to wrap up the show here a little bit, I'm running a little bit past the time that I, I had set here. But before we do that, was there anything else that you wanted to bring up, let the listeners know about anything that Sherbits is doing or any piece that might be interesting to the listeners? Yeah, I think for this audience, you probably should follow us on Twitter. It's at SuredBits. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris underscore Stewart underscore five. We try and put content out related to lightning or discrete log contracts pretty much every week. Go check out our blog, which is SuredBits.com slash blog. Whatever we can do to speed up lightning adoption is what we're interested in doing in terms of if your business has questions about. Not necessarily sure how certain things work with lightning. We're more than happy to answer those questions and move the conversation forward in that regard. Perfect. I really appreciate you joining me on the podcast, and I really appreciate you asking me some questions there. I think that actually made the conversation open up quite a bit there, so that that was great. Yeah, I had a lot of fun, and I always think podcasts are better when it's a conversation rather than just me lecturing. It's always interesting to hear what other people think about these things, and you know, us as a digitally native community, we're all over the world. It's It's nice to hear what other people are thinking, and you learn something every time. Yeah, definitely. I hope all the listeners learn something. That's the end of the show. Thanks, Chris, and that's all.
Boom. That was the 25th episode of the Lightning Junkies podcast. I'm hoping you learned something. I think I learned quite a bit just learning what I thought about things. I really enjoyed when Chris asked me the, the questions in this episode. It really allowed me to uh, realize, hey, I do have thoughts about things too. Look out for a new episode on March 23rd. That one's going to be a special one. Until next time, I'll see you on the Lightning Network.